This morning, uh, as you know, we were going to show uh, the last At The Movies uh, message, which was Hacksaw Ridge, but due to technical difficulty, we had to push it back to next week. So uh, you have the opportunity for me to share a message with you that is about 53% ready, okay? 53%. Uh, But I want to encourage you uh, to come back next week, invite somebody. Hacksaw Ridge, when I saw that movie, it really impacted me. I don't know if you've seen it. But uh, it impacted me in the way that as I saw the life of Desmond Doss unfold, I couldn't help but parallel that with the life of Jesus and his sacrifice and the way he lived. He really is a Christ-like figure. I'm not saying he is Christ, but it challenged me to just never be, uh, just think of the gospel message as just normal or common. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then it challenged me this way, that I need to get off my butt and do something. You know what I mean? That coming to church is not all that being a Christian is. This isn't even the height of what we do. This is just a part of what we do. And so uh, I want just uh, you to invite somebody. Make sure you're here next week. It's going to be an awesome time. Well, this week, as I said, with a message at 53% prepared, okay, maybe you'll give me 47% leeway, all right? But what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, Exodus chapter 33. And really what I want to do is take the opportunity to kind of just share with you uh, something that I feel like the Lord's been teaching me over the last three years of my life. The last three years of my life, I came into a new position that was the pastor of this church. And God has been teaching me some things. You know, I've had a goal really for the last four years to read through the one-year Bible. It's been my goal. I've got a one-year Bible. I open it up. I start reading. But I never get past the first five books of the Bible. Specifically, I never really get past reading about Moses and Joshua. I don't know about you, but has anybody else tried to read the one-year Bible? How many of you finished? Look how awesome you guys are. You're such good Christians. You know, me, I just haven't been able to get through it. Partially because I struggle with discipline, but partially because I feel like the Lord's been trying to teach me something. And I had a, a professor tell me, we were talking about that. He said, you know, Josh, just because you're hovering around the same passage doesn't mean that uh, there's nothing for you to get out of it. It really means that maybe God is just trying to teach you something and you just need to go with it. And I really have realized that. Exodus 33 talks about, about Moses. But what I want to do is before we get in that, I want to ask this question of how many of you have ever felt just kind of stuck in life? Like you're stuck. You're in the meantime, you are in a holding pattern and you are ready to move forward. You are ready to take that next step. You are ready to succeed. You're ready to spread your wings and fly. You're like a thoroughbred at the gates of the Kentucky Derby, ready to run, but you just can't seem to move forward. Or maybe you say this, I just can't seem to get God to do what he needs to do so that I can move forward. Like I want, I want a better marriage. I need a better job. I need a better home situation. I need to be better financially. I need a better car. I need a better life, whatever the case may be. And you're ready to move forward, but yet you feel stuck and you're so ready to move forward that maybe you're on the verge of making an impulsive or unwise decision. You know, because we, we think we know what the next step looks like. We think we know what the future looks like, but we just have an idea. We have a vision. We don't have the reality of what that step looks like. And that's kind of where I've been. I feel like for me, I've been in this situation that, that I'm ready to move forward in something. I'm going to define that here in a moment. But I want you to understand this. That just because we are in a stationary position in life does not mean that God is being stationary. That maybe just maybe that God has you in a holding pattern and he has you feeling stuck 
or he has you being stationary because he's, he's doing something in your life. He's preparing you for something. He's, he's going before you as the word says that he does and opens doors and acts as a shield and preparing the way and the path for you to walk. Maybe just maybe that's what he's doing. And maybe the, the holding pattern and the stationary position will prove to be the most productive and foundational moment in your life thus far. You see, Moses here in Exodus 33, he has led the children out of the nation of Egypt. They were slaves. Okay, They were there for 430 years or so as slaves, and Moses has led them out. He has, he has gone to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And in, and in Exodus 33, God tells him, hey, it's time to get moving, Moses. It's time for you to take the people you brought out of Egypt and move into the promised land. And this is a point in Moses' life that I would think that he would be so willing and ready just to jump up and say, let's go. Let, let's move forward into the promised land. Let me be the leader, God, that you've called me to be. And let me experience the joy of leading these people, God, to their ultimate destination. But Moses doesn't do that. Moses makes a very interesting decision. How he responds to the Lord, I think, is, is not only interesting. I think it's bold. I think it's daring. But I think it's so applicable Uh, for us today. And I told you that I kind of felt stuck. Here's why I feel stuck. I've lived my whole life being an achiever. You know what I mean? I I like to grow things. I like to be successful. If you give me something to maintain, I'm going to kill it. Don't ask me to plant it for you. I will kill your plant. I don't have a garden. Why? Because I wouldn't do anything with it. You know what I mean? Someone planted onions in my house and they they, they died. Why? Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't maintain things well. I, I want to grow things. If you ask me to dog sit for more than a weekend, it might be dangerous. I fundamentally think about how to, how to grow something, how to make it bigger, how to make it better, how to do more, not just so that I can be successful. I think that's just kind of how God's wired me. So, so to come in and to maintain something, it makes me nervous. It makes me, it makes me fearful. It even makes me feel so uncomfortable. So when I became the pastor of this church, I thought, oh man, this thing is going to grow. Why? Because you know, I'm here. It's going to grow, right? Because God, you've called me to grow something. So I step in and it's got to grow. But you know what? That didn't happen. God has taken me through a journey for the last three years of my life and showing me that there's some things that I need to learn. And as a matter of fact, in this journey, things got worse before they got better. God was, was, was teaching me something in the moment. I believe what, what God has been teaching me, that in life, it's not all about growth. It's not all about getting better. It's not all about being successful. It's not about all about getting to the next level. What God has been teaching me is, Josh, is the most important thing that you could learn in your life right now is, is that I am all that you need. I am the center and I want to be the center of your life. And if you will pursue me, if you will desire me, I have everything that you have ever needed or will ever need. And that is what this church needs is my presence, not some uh, prescribed next level or next thing that you think. God is the one who grows us. God is the one who moves us. God is the one who put me in this position and who will take me to the next level. And God is the one who has led you to where you're at and has you in your position. And he will be faithful to lead you on. But you need to understand this. God will never lead you into a place that destroys you or that makes you unsuccessful. And God has to lead us into positions of obscurity, I believe, to produce a foundational and profound work in our lives. And you see, Moses' story isn't any different. 
We're going to pick up Moses' story with him leading an entire nation out of slavery. I mean, he's, a, he's a, a, an amazing figure in the Bible. But Moses was born a Hebrew child in Egypt as a slave. He was born at a time when the Pharaoh of the land was saying that we, we do not want the Israelites to prosper anymore. The Hebrews are just growing. So every newborn male baby will be killed. And they would go around and find out who was having a newborn uh, Hebrew baby, a male, and they would kill him. And so Moses' family, they lie about him being a boy. And then his sister Miriam takes him and puts him in this basket and floats him down the river to where she is picked up. He is picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses grows up in the palace of Egypt, which is the most um, powerful nation on the face of the earth. Interestingly enough, Moses' name means to draw out. And he was drawn out of the water, put in the palace. So he goes from slave who should be killed to royalty growing up in the palace. And he spends about 40 years or so there. But then Moses comes to terms with the fact that he's not Egypt, Egyptian, he's a Hebrew. And as he's reconciling that, he comes up on a Egyptian soldier that is beating a Hebrew slave and he gets angry and he kills him. Moses had an anger problem. We'll see that played out in his life. He kills him. And then Moses goes from the royalty, from the palace, out into the wilderness of Midian, and he becomes a shepherd. And he becomes a shepherd for 40 more years. Moses goes out into obscurity, from the palace to the shepherd, to, to, to herd sheep and to herd goats. It is in obscurity that Moses has a profound encounter with the living God. God speaks to Moses, the burning bush. Moses, take your shoes off for you're standing on holy ground. Moses, I am that I am. God reveals himself to Moses. This Hebrew who went to the palace of Egypt and is now in the obscurity of the wilderness. Wouldn't you think that God would reveal himself in the palace? I mean, that's where everybody wants to be. He's in the palace. No, no, no. He had to go to the wilderness to be a shepherd for God to speak to him out in the wilderness, whereas nobody else was around and said, I am that I am. I'm the God of the universe. And I want you to deliver my people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness. He then, after he argues with God about his calling, he meets up with his brother Aaron and they go before the king to begin to ask for the freedom of his people. So God used the experience in the palace, but the palace was not the most profound moment in Moses' life. It was the burning bush in the wilderness. It was the obscurity. See, what happens in obscurity is, is so important. When you take a seed and you plant it in the ground, it's what happened under, underneath the ground that is more important than what happens above the ground because what happens underneath determines the success and the height and the growth and the health of the plant that grows out of the ground. But none of us can see what goes on underneath, Right? How painstakingly long does it take to plant something and watch it bloom? That's why I don't have the patience to water it and do all that maintenance stuff. I just want it to drop, boom, grow like magic beanstalk. You know what I mean? Just grow. But, but what happens in the darkness, what happens in obscurity, what happens when, when nothing seems like it's really happening is God is stripping away and, and getting into the core of who we are so that life can be produced, so that a foundation can be built, so that God can help you be successful. Did you know God wants you to be successful more than you want to be successful? I don't mean that he has a Maserati and a, you know, a million dollar bank account in store for you. If that's, that's what he has for you. That's cool. But, but he wants you to be successful. God, God wants you to, your marriage to be healed more than you want it to be healed. 
God wants your financial situation to be better than you want it to be better. God wants you to be a better father or mother than you want to be a better father and mother. God wants you to be successful in life more than you want it because that's who he is. He's good, but he knows the process sometimes to get there. He's not very fun, but it doesn't mean he's bad. He's willing to put us in obscurity so that we can be successful because you know what? Success is harder to manage than failure. Success is harder to manage than failure. I heard T.D. Jake say that one time. I thought, man, that is so good. That is so good. We see how success destroys people, don't we? We see how success has destroyed people in our own Christian community. They get, God throws them down and they just get, they get successful and, and something happens and they make bad decisions and they can't manage the success. And God doesn't want that for us. God wants us to be successful, but more importantly, God wants us to be able to manage the success and have character and have integrity. And to, and to want him more than we want the success. That's to want, I want God more than I want a better marriage. I want God more than I want a lot of money. I want God more than I want a better, to be a better father or mother. You say, well, that's weird. No, 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 because the more I want him, the more he's working in me and the better father, mother, husband, boss, friend, colleague, whatever you can throw at it, I will be. But we've got to be willing to embrace the obscurity, to embrace the, the, the stationary, stuck moments in our life. And I really got to get to Exodus, don't I? But this is where we find Moses. He's gone through the obscurity. He is now, okay, he's led the children of Israel out of Egypt across the, 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 the Red Sea on dry ground. And God brought the waters back and killed the Egyptians. And here they are. They come to this mountain. And, God go, and Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. And he has this amazing encounter with God where God writes the Ten Commandments with his finger on stone and says, here are these ten laws that will help you be human, that will help you not be a slave anymore, that will teach you how to be who I am and my character. And Moses, his face is glowing. He's been in the presence of the Lord. He comes down the mountain and he sees all these people. What are they doing? taking all the gold and stuff they, they took out of Egypt and they make a golden calf and they're worshiping this calf because they don't trust God anymore. They don't think that God will be faithful. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to be slaves again. And Moses is like, are you kidding me? What more do I have to do? And what more does God have to do? He split the Red Sea. Come on. And he takes the Ten Commandments, another moment of anger, and what does he do? Slams them on the ground, breaks them. And then, then God sends them back up the mountain and says, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to make you chisel them out of stone. So Moses has to chisel the second set of Ten Commandments out of stone. And then then we get to chapter 33. And God tells Moses this interesting thing in chapter 33. God says, Moses, it's time for you and the people you brought out of Egypt. God says, Moses, you and the people you brought out of Egypt. Well, hold on a minute. Moses is like, these ain't my people, God. These are your people. Because, God, you told me to deliver your people. You didn't tell me to deliver my people. But God's like, he's probably frustrated with him too. You, Moses, you deliver your people out of Egypt. It's time for you to get going. It's time for you to go to the promised land. And Moses' response is so amazing. Because Moses does not respond with, let's do it, let's go, I'm ready, let's run for it. No, 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 his response is entirely different. Let me read to you his response. Because Moses goes to the tent of meeting. You say, what's the tent of meeting? It was the place where God and Moses conversed. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. God, in the tent of meeting, his presence would descend like a cloud and he would speak to Moses. Moses would hear the voice of God and all the people would gather around and try to listen in. What's God saying? What's God doing? Moses' first response to, to 
God, when he says get going, is to go and talk with God. And I want to read the conversation to you. Exodus 33, 12. We're going to read through 17. Moses said to the Lord, you, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation, listen, this is your people. Moses tells God, God, remember these people, they are yours. They ain't mine. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that, that you are pleased with me and that your people, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. So Moses' response to the Lord is, you've told me to go, but you haven't told me that if you're going to go with me or not. And God, I want to remind you that, that, that these are your people. And God, I, I want you to know that I'm not leaving from this place unless you promise that your presence will go with us. What Moses was literally asking, that word face means, presence means face. God, unless your face is with us, the personal touch of you, your personal presence is with us. I'm not moving from this place because I don't have what it takes. He says, hey, God, if you don't go with us, how are people going to take us seriously? How are people going to distinguish me and, and, and this nation of slaves that have been slaves for 430 years? That's all we are. That's all we have. God, if it wasn't for you, we would not have been out of the nation of Egypt. We wouldn't be free right now. God, if you don't go with us, we're going to be crushed. And God, I'm not moving from this place until you say you will go with me. And he said, God, you, you told me that you know me by name and that I found favor in your sight. And if this is true, God, please come with me. I'm not moving from this place. See, I think Moses's response, if it were me, would have been like, all right, God, let's go. Me and you, if they ain't going to go, I don't care. They're acting a fool, but you and me were not. See, but, but Moses' response was not to, to automatically run into success, to run into the next level of what he had. No, no, his response was this, God, I, I, I will not move from this place unless you go with me. I think what Moses had learned up until that point of 40 years in the palace, 40 years in the, in the, in the wilderness is that he was nothing without God. He was nothing without the presence of God in his life. And he had come to this moment and realized that, God, the most valuable thing that we possess as a nation is your presence, is who you are. And you see, I think that is the lesson that God has been trying to teach me over the last three or four years of my life is, is that the mark of success for you, Josh, is not how many people are in a seat on a Sunday morning, isn't what we call nickels and noses, right? It is my presence in a place. It is people, and it starts with you, Josh, who desire me more than some contrived idea of success, more than some contrived idea of blessing. And if we're not careful... What we will do is we will pursue God for what we can get out of him rather than realizing he is the greatest treasure that we will ever have. God is not on this earth with his hand out to be a cosmic vending machine. You know, God will give us everything we need, but he is the ultimate prize and he's given us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. 
It's as if I wonder sometimes if, if God doesn't come down the mountain and says us worshiping the golden calf in our lives saying, what more do I have to do for you? And I would say, what is the golden calf in your life? What is it that you are worshiping more than God? What is it that you think if you had, then automatically you would be happy and all your problems would, would go away? That, oh, if you could just have X amount of money in your bank account. Oh, if your husband would just not treat you like that. Or, oh, if your wife would just do this. Or, oh, if your boss. Or, oh, if whatever. And while all those things may be good and not inherently wrong, I'm here to tell you that none of those things will satisfy you sustainably. None of those things will make you happy. None of those things are a guarantee or mark of success in your life. It is God and God alone will be the only one to satisfy the deepest longings in your heart. And that's what I believe that Moses began to realize in that moment is God, the promised land is not the ultimate prize, because God, you are the promised land. That's a physical piece of property, but God, you are the promised land. You and your presence are the promised land, and we are not moving here until you promise that you'll be with us. Isn't that bold? But you know what? Moses was not debating with God on the basis of what he told God. He was debating with God on the basis of what God had spoken to him. Because God said to Moses, you read earlier in Exodus, that I know you by name. And Moses, you have found favor and you have found grace in my sight. That undeserved, unmerited favor. That's what God had told Moses. So Moses is just reiterating to God what God had already spoken to him. God, this is what you've promised. And God, this is what I need. And God, this is what I want because I fundamentally know that I don't have what it takes to get to the next level apart from you. And how does God respond? He responds in the affirmative. Moses, you're, you're, you're right. I do know you by name. You have found favor in my sight. And I will go with you. My presence will be with you. And not just with Moses, but with every single one of those people that came out of the nation of Egypt that were just worshiping a golden calf, God promised that his presence would be with them. Did they deserve it? No. Did they do anything to earn it? You better believe they didn't. But God said, I will, I will send a cloud by day to lead you and a pillar of fire by night. And I will feed you in the wilderness. God sent manna in the wilderness, right? And, and it was like this bread with kind of like honey on the top of it. God fed them every day. God was faithful. He, he provided for them because his presence was with them. And I think this is a, just a lesson that is, is difficult for all of us to have to learn is, is that how could God be with me in obscurity when I feel like he's so far away? How, how can God be moving and working when I am just stuck where I'm at and I hate my job? I'm sick of my marriage. I'm sick of being broke. I'm sick of my kids. I don't know if that's right to say, but maybe it's true. Right? I, I don't like my friends. I don't, I don't like life. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just stuck. And you think, how could this be part of God's plan? Because what God is willing to endure is you possibly thinking that he's not good to prove to you that he is good because he'll strip away from you everything that you think you need and everything you think you want and he will give you exactly what you need and show you how good and how faithful that he is. It's what is it that we, we want? 
What is it that we are pursuing that we have maybe intentionally, unintentionally, intentionally, consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, whatever, said is more important than the Father, is more important than his presence in our lives. And I'm talking about his manifest presence in our lives. And we all know that, right, that when we become a believer that God takes up residence on the inside of us. But there is something about God's manifest presence, meaning what he does for us, what only he can do. See, God's presence is in this room right now. He's here. We don't have to ask for it. He's here. But there's a difference between that presence and God's manifest presence. And I shared this analogy uh, about a month ago. Is that if God's manifest presence is like this, if there were a multi-billionaire in this room right now, and he began or she began to stand up and walk around and hand out $100,000 to each person in the room, that would be the manifest presence of that multi-billionaire. Because the multi-billionaire could be here right now. Their presence is here, but we don't know. But once they begin to hand out that money, that's the manifest presence. Them doing for us what only they can do for us. And in the same way, that's God's manifest presence. He, he's here, but he wants to do for you what only he can do for you. And that is him being made manifest in your life. And if I could go out on a limb, I would, I would say that I think there are a number of people here that would say, I need the manifest presence of God in my life right now. I need God to show up and do something because my marriage is on the brink, my finances are on the, on the brink, my, my job, whatever the case may be, my life, I'm addicted, I'm broke, what, you name it. You need God to show up and do for you. And my question to you is not whether God can, because he can, he's willing and he's able, and all of that is do you really want him to? Are you really settled in and focused in on the fact that he's the solution and that you can say, I'm not going to move from here until God shows up? Maybe, maybe it's your perspective that needs to change. Maybe it's your prayer that needs to change. And instead of asking God to get you out of the situation and instead of asking God to change this and change that, you can say, God, I'm not going to move from this place until you show up because I want to declare that I need you and I want you and I, de- I desire you more than anything else out in this world. More than my perceived next step, my perceived promotion, or whatever the case may be. God, I'm not moving from this place until you show up. And I know it's counterintuitive. I know it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense for me to read that Moses did it. But he said, God, what lies ahead is not more important than you being with us. And what lies ahead for you, that next step, that promotion, that thing that you have idolized and put in your mind, I guarantee you it's not more important than God. Nothing that God would ever give you is better than himself. Everything he does for us is a revelation of who he is. But he wants us to want and desire him. And here's the thing. God pursues us, right? We didn't find God. God found us. If you think you found God, no, 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 he found you. Just look at Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. God comes to us. We don't go to him. Okay? We're lost. We're broken. We're hurting. We don't even know how to find God. But he found us because he loves us. And what happens is after he finds us, right, and we are in him, he does want us to pursue him because there's so much more to him than we ever thought possible. You know, I told you that, that, that Moses had an anger problem. Killed the Egyptian soldier, broke the Ten Commandments. And he also, later on, struck the rock for water to come out when God told him to speak to the rock. He struck it, and water flowed. But God said, because of this, Moses, you will not enter the promised land. So Moses led them all the way up to that point 
But because of his disobedience, really, I think because of his anger, he didn't get to physically see the promised land. You know, Moses asked God for something else. We read it in verse 17, verse 18. He said, God, now show me your glory. He said, I want your presence. I want your face. Show me your glory. I want, to, I want you to listen to God's response. God responded to Moses and said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion upon whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but not my face. So God said, you can see my behind, but you can't see my face. For if you see my face, no one can live. And so God did that. God, God passed all of his glory in front of Moses and Moses didn't didn't get to see the face of God like he was asking for. He didn't get to go into the promised land physically and experience that. You know, I was thinking about that, man. How, how interesting is it is that, that how Moses could get so close but not make it in, right? He had an anger problem, sure. And then I begin to think about the grace of God, how gracious he is, how faithful he is. You know, the grace of God, it says, that is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Undeserved, unmerited favor. And I begin to think about Moses. And although God said, you can't, you can't see my face and live, no one can. And, and, and I'll show you the promised land from a mountain, but you can't go into it. You get to Matthew 17. And in Matthew chapter 17, we have the, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus takes himself and three disciples up there. And then you have, you have these, these Old Testament characters that, that appear on this Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And you know who's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Moses. Moses is on the Mount of Transfiguration. You say, well, well, what in the world is the significance of that? Because the promised land was never a piece of property. The promised land was always Jesus. And Moses got to behold Jesus in physical, visible form. And Jesus made a statement in the Gospels. He said, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. So although God could not show Moses his face back in Exodus because of Jesus, and the forgiveness of sins, and the grace that is revealed in him. God answered Moses' prayer a long time later. And he stood there on the mountain, heard the voice of God, beheld the face of Jesus, and I think it was in that moment that God answered that prayer. He saw the promised land. He wasn't the one to lead them into it. That was Joshua. But God allowed him to behold it and see it. Why? Because I think it goes back to Moses' understanding. God, the most important thing that you could give us right now as a nation of slaves, as a, as a wandering people out here in the desert, is not a piece of property, is not a thing. It is yourself. And I would say to you, in whatever situation you're in, whatever, whatever uh, stationary, wilderness, desert, obscurity that you're in, I want you to know the most important and beneficial thing that God could give you is himself and not what you're asking him for. Because those things will follow if you'll just realign your perspective and say, God, it's you that I want. And maybe just take a bold step, a bold position and stance before the Father today and say, God, I'm not moving from right here until you show up, until your presence comes in this place.
And what I thought we would do today, and as the band can, can return, is since we decided to flip the script at about 8.48 this morning, right, as everything was going down, I told them, I said, you know, guys, let's push this off till next week. We can maybe make it work, but let's, I, I think that God maybe has a, something for, for some people here today. And they said, how prepared in the message are you? I said, I don't really know, but I think it, it's there. So let's, I believe this was four people. I wanted to end today, and we've got, we've got plenty of time. I wanted to end the day not just praying about it, but actually doing it. We're going to worship at the end of here in just a moment, okay? We're going to stand. We're going to, we're going to make that declaration with our voices. We're going to raise our hands high and say, God, we want you. We need you. Even though I feel like I need and want this, God, I'm going to declare in faith right now the truth that says I need you. Maybe we could just be like Moses, and we could, we could look at the golden calf, and instead of getting angry about it, we could just worship about it and say, God, you take that golden calf, remove it out of my life, Help me to, to put you at the center of my life. Not a thing, not a position, not a person, not even an answer to prayer, but you and your presence in my life. And I'm not guaranteeing you that everything's going to change today. I'm not even saying it's going to change tomorrow, but I am guaranteeing you that God will change you and that your situation will change. God is more concerned about changing you than he is your situation. A lot of times God will transform you and you won't even be concerned about your situation anymore. But you just have to take that step of faith and be bold before the Lord because we know, as it says in Hebrews, that we can approach the throne of grace without fear, without trepidation, right, without anxiety, and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And I just want to give each and every one of us that opportunity this morning to do that. Could you stand with me? Because I want to pray over you before we go into this time of worship. Don't worry about your kids. They're fine. They're eating popcorn and learning spiritual truths while watching Minions. Those, we've, got, we've got time for this. Just think about it. The Lord looked ahead this morning. He was the only one who, who wasn't uh, caught off guard when our technology didn't work, right? Because he had a plan and a purpose for this moment. And I just want us to rest in that and take advantage of it. But let me pray over you as we go into worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you love us so much that, God, we can't even begin to comprehend that, that you want us to succeed. You want us to move forward more than we do. But, Lord, I pray in this moment that we would take the opportunity to declare who you are, to declare how faithful you are, and to make the conscious decision that we are not going to move from this place, Lord, until you show up, until you give us your presence and show us your face. May we be as bold as Moses, not on the basis of our our self-confidence, but Father, on the basis of what your word says. And we love you and we thank you.